Hey, what's up, everybody? It's Dean Rogers. We've got a special guest for another interview today, Chad Lauer, and can't wait to get into this one. I've known him for a long time. Chad, welcome to the interview, man. Hey, Dean. Nice to talk to you. It's good seeing you today. Hey, guys. Welcome to the Dean Rogers Show, where we talk about real deals that we're doing and bring on awesome guests to talk about how they're finding success in their business to inspire and motivate you. Don't forget to like and subscribe. All right, see you on the show. We haven't known each other for a while. I'm trying. I was trying to remember how long. I think it was when we first met was probably in like 2014, 2015. I don't even know. 20 somewhere in 2016. That sounds about right. Yeah, I want to say 15, 16, maybe ish. Yeah, and then. I think we were talking on the phone and, and you reminded me that we'd already talked before, I think. <laughs> Is that right? I think so. Yeah. That's funny. I think you were just going to have your first kid at the time. Oh, dang. Okay. Then yeah, it would have been right around 16. Yeah. And I think you remember you told me how you were launching your real estate business, I think. And you're also telling me how nervous you were because you're having a kid. It was probably about me going and doing a new project that I hadn't done before. And you know what it was? Yeah, probably so. When, when did you start your real estate business? I forget. 2013. Oh, okay. So maybe it wasn't. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's funny, man. Um, I'm looking outside the window. Like what's, what's going on over there? It's my chickens trying to dig their way out underneath the fence. That's awesome. Well, you're <laughs> in San Diego, right? Yeah. Yeah. And you're allowed to have chickens? You are. Yeah. You just can't have a rooster in the neighborhood, but uh, chickens are fair game. Yeah. Uh, and that's, I think that's mainly a California thing. Like the right to farm pretty much. Yeah. Oh really? Well, in my in my town, we can have chickens, but you have to have the neighbor's approval. Oh. And you don't have to have the roosters, but you have to have. I think you have to have them sign off on it or something. I was about to say you're gonna have to have them sign that off, otherwise yeah. it'd be a he said she said. Yeah. Well, cool, man. Um, it's so good to catch up with you. I mean, we've got memories going back years and years, uh, uh, including going out to some nightclubs together, busting out some dance moves. Yeah. Um, Chad can throw down. I mean. <laughs> this dude could throw down on the dance floor. Uh, he's got some moves. Um, so yeah, man, pleasure to have you. Let's dive right into it. Let's dive into some juicy stuff. So let's kind of start with, uh, who Chad is, you know, obviously we're, we're here to talk about real estate. That's how we both met. Um, but how'd you get started in real estate? Cause it wasn't your first business, uh, yeah, let alone yeah. your first job, you know? Well, um, I guess it's really kind of a long story, but I'll keep it short. So, you know, I, I guess I, uh, I bought my first house. I was 21 years old, I think. And I was in the car business and um, I, was, I was living in an apartment and my cousin was a mortgage broker. He said, why don't you buy a house? And he ended up finding me a house in a really cool old neighborhood that was a fixer upper. This is, I think, in 2001. Um, and uh, I said, oh, so my, I could actually buy a house and it would be cheaper than what I'm paying for my one bedroom apartment. Yeah, it sounds like it might be a good idea. And this house was a nightmare. Like, I mean, horror story. You walk in the place, look like a, you know, like a horror movie. Um, but um, I ended up living in the apartment and doing work on the house myself. Um, wasn't really getting into flipping, but I, I guess I was. I didn't realize it, but I was. Um, and put a roof on the house. Uh, we had to resurface the interior of the house and and um, new furnace and things like that. And I ended up moving into the place and, you know, had it kind of livable, but projects going on for years. But that was kind of my first experience in the house flipping 
but not on t- not intentionally. So doing uh, it doing it on your own house, huh? Yeah, my own house. Yeah, first house was a fixer upper. So um, then I, I ended up starting another business and and a couple other businesses and um, got really good at marketing. So did a lot of things to generate a lot of leads. And my my business I started back in two thousand eight during the recession was a gold buying business. We ended up opening up uh, 16 retail stores in uh, two different states and uh, had 30 employees within a couple of years. No debt, no loans, just all cash. Just started with a small amount of cash, uh, started doing a lot of marketing and generating a lot of leads and uh, buying a lot of gold. And I think we did like $10 million our third year um, in business. Wowzer. I, got to, I got to manage all the marketing for that business. It was like $65,000 a month on the marketing budget. So I got to test everything you could think of, TV ads, newspaper ads, um, uh, direct mail, radio. We used to do events at the locations and contests and all kinds of things. It was, it was a lot of fun, but um, ended up uh, kind of having a, well, I had a business partner. We had uh, two or, th- or three of his friends that wanted to get into our business with us and that became a nightmare. So in 2013, I got out of the business, um, took a buyout, wanted to get into real estate investing to invest in rental properties and, and, um, ended up going through fortune builders, which is, you know, where we met, right. Yeah. So went through that program and, um, yeah, so that's kind of how I ended up in real estate investing because I wanted to buy some rentals and didn't know how to do it. Weren't you doing like vending machines and stuff like that too? Yeah, that was my first business. Yeah. So back in uh, 2001 or two, a partner and I bought some gumball machines and we were both working in a, in a, in a car business. And, uh, you know, we bought a bunch of these gumball machines and put them out in locations and started seeing other people had gumball machines and that weren't filling them. So we would just call them somebody, you know, find the phone number on the back of the gumball machine, call them up and say, Hey, we saw your gumball machines empty. Uh, would you might, would you want to sell them? And how many do you have? And so some people would be like, yeah, we have 20 of me. I want to get rid of them all. So we'd buy them all. And usually we'd buy them for less than what was inside of them. You know, there'd be, there'd be a bunch of money in them. They'd be empty. We'd get the keys and give us a list of locations. We'd go out and empty them all out and they were all paid off. And so we kept buying those that way, ended up with 130 of them. And then one day uh, a guy called us saying, Hey, we saw some of your gumball machines. They're, uh, they're not full. Would, would you want to sell yours? And so um, we said, yeah, we'll sell them all. So sold them all to this guy for 13,000, took the $13,000 and uh, got a hold of a manufacturer in China and had them build us uh, 300 brand new gumball machines and shipped Whoa. them over in a container load and sold them all on eBay before they ever showed up. And we, we <laughs> quadrupled our money on the first order and we ordered more. So we started up a wow. online, basically e-commerce site, you know, started up a website back before, you know, Shopify and all these things were a big thing, but started up a website, did our search engine optimization, tried all kinds of advertising, but we built a uh, multi-million dollar vending machine uh, distribution business in our early 20s. So 24, 25 years old, I had 10 employees, a warehouse and distribution in Kansas City and Wichita of, of uh, full size and full size vending equipment and, and gumball machines. So. Wow. Yeah. No, one of the things that I've always been impressed about you is just your level of like business acumen. Um, you know, it's, you're, you're not a flashy guy that's walking around, you know, flashing this or that, but you know, you've, you've done a lot of different stuff and, and managed a lot of different things and, and had several different businesses. What do you think it is that allowed you to do that at that young of an age? I mean, most people are pretty immature at that age. Did you just, 
grow up around it? Did you just like desire it so much? Do you feel like you were just mature for your age? Like, no, it was, I don't know. It was maybe a couple of those things, but, um, I think it was mainly that, you know, I got, I, well, when I, I kind of had a, I would say a hard upbringing in a way that, you know, my parents didn't make a lot of money. We, we oftentimes didn't have uh, what we needed, you know, clothes, food, lights on, things like that. It was always up and down. I think my parents, you know, are pretty good people. There's not the, they've, they've been through some tough times. Right. So, um, so I, I got out on my own at an early age um, and went to college with no, without a dime, you know, I didn't have any money. I had to go get a job to pay for it and make it work. And I was working, you know, working from six in the morning until, you know, I'd get up at six in the morning, go to drive to school an hour away, start school at eight o'clock in the morning and then uh, work until nine o'clock at night after well, school would go till two o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, we, I'd go to work after that and work till nine and then drive back home. So, so six in the morning till 10 at night every day. And that was when I could finally walk in my door when I'd walk out of the door to when I would walk back in the door and then, you know, get some sleep. So uh, being able to, you know, live on five to six hours of sleep a night and then work that, that type of schedule. I mean, I guess I've always just been used to working even in, in high school, you know, I was working from the time I get off of work until midnight or time I get off of school until midnight and then getting up early and doing that again. So just what I've known to, to be able to, to uh, survive. And then, um, you know, I guess the fear of the lights going off, you know, yeah, and wanting to never have to go into that situation myself. So that plus I kind of like sales. Like I enjoy, I think it's a fun game. Um, I like the, I like the challenge of building businesses and also of, uh, of making sales. I just kind of enjoy that. So, um, I guess it's what I like to do for fun. I used to tell people like, I don't, I don't go to work. I go to fun. Like, you know, my business is <laughs> going to work. It's just, so I do it for fun. So I enjoy it. Right. Yeah. No, there's, there's a big difference between people who are doing it cause they have to, and, and don't really want to, and other people who just like thrive in that environment. Do you think, do you think it's cause you're really competitive or it's because you had like the kind of chip on your shoulder. I've talked about this with several other people, like because of your upbringing, you had this chip on your shoulder. Like this is the way to get on the other side of that. This is the way to overcome it. This is the way to li not live that way. Yeah. I think part of it was, I don't know if I'd call it a chip on my shoulder. Cause I think of that in like kind of a negative way where you're like, Oh, this is, you know, you've got this, uh, you know, this um, you know, negative thing of like, oh, I just, you know, gonna, you know, blah, blah, blah. But, um, you know, so I think of it kind of like, as a way to not, yeah, to do it differently, do things differently than the way it was then and to change things. Right. So, um, yeah, that's pretty much it. Nice. Okay. So, so part of it, I think out of also out of like survival, you know, just survival, yeah. you get in the fight or flight and that's just, you just, you that's just go. You go. Yeah. You just yeah, go. yeah. A hundred percent. Okay. Well, um, so once you got into real estate, like, did you immediately have success or did you, did you kind of have to get some, some bumps and bruises along the way? Like what was your path to getting in? You joined, you got education. Um, you'd already lived through some stuff, understanding what real estate was like and, and how to navigate it, but to actually make it a business, you know, how did you get there? Um, I mean, I suppose the first deal I ever tried to buy a couple of things I tried to do before getting the education, you know, I've met with a, found out what wholesalers were. I found out you could buy properties wholesale. And I met with a couple 
and I looked at a property and one of them, they were saying, well, it's got an ARV of this and it's a four bedroom house and it's, it's got this much in repairs. And I, I was scratching my head saying, okay, you want this much money for it? Yeah, the price sounds good. I think they wanted 25,000 for the house. And I don't remember the numbers. I think they said it was like a $200,000 house and it was a four bedroom house. And then when I walked through it, I'm like, okay, they're saying it doesn't need a roof, but I can see the sky. How does it not need a roof? I'm like, these numbers <laughs> must be off. You know, cause I, I mean, seriously, uh, there was a live possum in the house and fleas and you could see the sky from one of the rooms. Like, uh, but they said it was a $25,000 rehab budget. I'm like, wait a minute. So I got a, either I don't know anything about construction and, and uh, numbers or this is wrong or both. I mean, I don't know. I probably don't know enough, but I also know that this isn't right. And so I ended up bringing a contractor back to the house and I'd already put down a $5,000 deposit. The wholesaler didn't want me to bring a contractor to look at it. But when I did, I got an $80,000 bid and I said, Oh boy, uh, that's not quite what, you know, what, what it was supposed to be. And also it was a three bedroom house, not a four bedroom house. They were counting some kind of a, a back room as a bedroom, which wasn't. So that was kind of my first experience really trying to buy a house that I wanted to fix and flip, or I think I was going to try to fix and flip it. And then ended up being that those wholesalers were actually fortune builders members. And I said, well, you probably need to go get some education and <laughs> so turned a bad, kind of a bad situation into like a, well, they're referring me to go on and, and talk to these fortune builders people, you know? So. Um, okay. Yeah. So, along the way, lots of, lots of bumps, I'm sure. Yeah. So what did you start with? You started with flipping, right? Yeah. My intention was just to get rental properties, but then I ended up turning into buying more, uh, getting into more of the, you know, a couple wholesales and then doing some fix and flips first. Okay. And you, then you started growing your rental portfolio too, right? Yep. Yep. Started buying some rentals. Yep. Okay. And, um, did you like, are you still buying rentals? You still buying flips? Yeah. A few here and there. Yeah. Not as many as I was, but, um, I've slowed it down a little bit. And, Cause, um, cause we that? used to be, we used to, be, we used to both be cranking on those, on the flips. Yeah. 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 Cause you were, cause we, we got to the point where we realized we were doing too many flips, right? Too many flips, law of diminishing return. Um, like what's, what's your sweet spot from, from doing a flip? Yeah. So I had as many as 12 going at a time and I, and that was kind of a bit of a nightmare, but I think, um, probably five at a time is, is, you know, somewhere between three and five at a time is a, is a much better number. And so it's much less stressful, you know, easier to manage. Yeah. So what I found was, um, when I had 12 going simultaneously, um, I ended up with, you know, when one contractor situation turned bad and if they're on multiple properties, mm. uh, that became a bit of a nightmare, you know? So, um, juggling between finding someone to take over for them and then, and then getting a contractor out of multiple properties to, to, uh, replace them. It, yeah. It, that was, that was pretty stressful. Yeah. Yeah, that's one of the interesting things about flipping properties is dealing with the contractors, right? Some of them can be good mm -hmm. and be good for a long time. Some of them can be really good and only for a couple projects and then just out of nowhere, just all their quality, their performance, their workers, everything just like goes to crap, you know? Um, so it's one of those things you have to consistently babysit and watch and keep a close eye on because that's where you can get hung up on a project is work stopping, kind of the money bleeding and the work you, the, the money you spent on a, a contractor, you now you got to almost respend it on another one. Um, it can get pretty messy. Yeah. 
Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I've had a few situations where I've had a contractor and I think my, the hardest one for me to keep uh, working with is a tile guy for some reason. I had, I've had terrible time with tile guys and even and painters. Those two are the hardest ones for me. Hmm. Uh, you know, roofers and plumbers, electricians, those I've, I've had several of those that have, have done uh, many projects and have a wood floor guy who's done probably 30 or 40 houses for me. And, uh, you know, some of the guys, I, I kind of like the idea of instead of hiring the GC and letting them manage everything, I like to sub, sub it out, you know, and ma- be the GC myself. So that way, yeah. if, if one guy, if the tile guy isn't working out, I don't have to fire the GC. I can just let the tile guy go and get a new tile guy and everyone else keeps working. Right. Yeah, it's one of those things you got to kind of feel out what makes the most sense for you. Um, we, we've done all the above, you know, where we manage the projects ourselves and hire out all the different uh, subcontractors and then have a GC. And um, I got to admit, I do like a GC when they do a good job, right? Mm-hmm. I'm willing to pay a little bit more for a GC rather than babysitting everybody myself. Um, but it can get more expensive, especially if you're trying to run those numbers tight and make sure that you're not running over budget and all that kind of fun, good stuff. So yeah, I can get pretty, uh, pretty interesting there. I ended up actually just getting the license early on. So I had a, I had a contractor who was told me he was licensed and insured and I didn't check. And I was on my first or second house. I think first one, I think. And, uh, you know, it came down to, we couldn't sell the house in the the agent was telling me um, that all the feedback was saying that they didn't like the backyard and the house was on a half acre lot backed up to a busy street. So we, we, we thought, well, the only thing we can do about the backyard is put up a fence, privacy fence and build a deck because it didn't really have a, you know, a deck. So um, I ended up hiring this guy to build a deck and he, um, he dug the holes to, uh, for the, for the piers so he could pour the concrete and, he went down to the city to get the permit for them to, um, you know, they want to come out and, uh, and inspect the holes, make sure they're deep enough. And he called me and said he couldn't pull a permit. And I said, well, why can't you pull a permit? Well, I don't have a license. Like, oh, I thought you did. Okay. Well, now what? They wouldn't let me pull it either because I was a homeowner with a LLC instead of a, you know, a occupied, owner-occupied homeowner. homeowner. So um, I had to go down and take a weekend class to get a license so we could pull a permit and take that <laughs> on Monday morning. <laughs> and, and we're, we're like in the, we're in limbo there because the house was on the market. We had showings active and we have holes in the backyard that are, you know, three or four feet deep. I'm afraid someone's going to break their ankle. You know, we've got a deck laying in the backyard. I'm afraid the city's going to come by and see it and say, uh, you know, uh, what's going on here. You're not, you're doing this work without a permit. Well, you know, I didn't, I was so new. I didn't know what was going to happen, but I saw these nightmares, you know, and, yeah. uh, Ended up getting the license and pulling the permit and he put the deck on. Jeez. Yeah. So um, I kind of like diving into like what, what makes uh, a person successful? Cause you know, everyone's, everyone's got a different story of what kind of what got them there um, depending upon what your skill sets and all that kind of stuff is. Right. Um, so for you, what, what do you think it is specifically that, and I think I already know the answer, but I'd be curious to hear what, what you have to say about it. Um, what's allowed you to be, you know, successful in business? Um, you know, is it your skills around a team? Is it the, the marketing side? Is it the sales side? Is it the, the systems and technology stuff? Is it all of it? You know, like, what do you think it is that's allowed you to get to where you're at? I'm curious. Now you may be curious about what you would say, but I'll be off from the afterwards. So, um, 
Uh, I would say first, I think the things that come up is probably ambition and drive. Um, I would say uh, the sales and negotiation that I enjoy that the marketing. I like that. You know, I always have been of the mind of saying, if I have to wake up in the morning and wonder where my next lead is coming from, I don't really want to have to go looking for it. I want them to just be there. I want people calling every day. I want appointments on my calendar. I just want to, you know, and I know that the best way for that is to actually market and advertise and, and uh, generate those leads that way, instead of, you know, going and searching for cold leads. I would say um, the systems of technology, I'm pretty good at that. Um, I, I kind of enjoy those things. Um, but I try not to get too deep into that where I'm focusing on things that don't make, make money because you can, you can organize yourself out of business, you know? Um, 100%. And so, you, you know, I think the best approach for a new business, especially is to, uh, to, to, get, to get messy, you know, get out there and, and, and do whatever it takes to make sales and, and do marketing and ignore some of the organizational things initially, but then clean it up quickly. Uh, before you get so big of a mess, you can't you can't recover from it, you know. So, um, but I think I think probably the thing that I am not a natural at is probably leadership. I, I probably you know I work I work on that. I don't always know if I make the right choices when it comes to leading people or managing the team or hiring and firing or things like that. But I you know I get through it. Um, but that takes work for me. So, um, yeah, no question. Um, yeah, I'm I'm under the same mindset. Like, marketing is going to be one of the the best ways for a business to be successful. If you can do marketing well, even if you're not as good at sales, like you're still going to have business. You know, um, and there's so many different pieces of the puzzle that have to come together at the end of the day to stay alive as a business. Right? You got to you got to run it well. Um, so it's always it's always interesting to just kind of pick apart like what, what made your business successful? A lot of, a lot of the stories are going to probably end up around the same, but some people are definitely better at some things than others. Um, and going back to your sales and negotiation, I mean, I know that for sure. Cause even just at some of the fortune builder events that we've been to together, you know, we kind of like would break off and talk about strategies and techniques for negotiating, um, with, with homeowners or, or even negotiating or, uh, talking to private lenders, you know, different stuff like that. Yeah. So that's, yeah, we, we did that one time, didn't we? We did like a tag team look to raise money. Yeah. Yeah. Did, yeah. You, get any, did you get any, um, business out of that? I remember a few. <laughs> that's I wasn't even thinking about that, but yeah, one of the events you and I said, let's, let's see who can raise the most amount of money. So, um, yeah, no, I raised some money that, that day. I know you raised some money too. I remember somebody had a hundred thousand issues. Somebody had, you know, I don't remember, but I think that was, I don't remember what phase in my business that would have been at that time, but there was a point where my focus was all on raising money because I had a, I had to deal. I took to the title company. I had to have five lenders to get the deal done. And it was only $150,000 house or something like that. You, you <laughs> had, had to have like five what? Five, five private lenders. I think I had or something oh, like oh that. Oh my I had, gosh. I had, I had, I had, maybe it was four. I had a first, I had a second, I had a, a partnership in third. Oh my God. And the, and, the, and the title company said, don't ever do that again. <laughs> so, yeah, I made a big focus on raising millions of dollars. Like I had to have multiple millions of dollars in private money available so I could never have to do that again. Yeah. yeah. No, that's, that's a critical piece to, to being able to scale because, you know, onesie, twosie lenders here and there, you know, only take you so far. And um, having a, a private lender, I think, is is better than a hard money lender because it's more flexible, right? It's, I mean, some of my private lenders, I won't even call. I'll just text them and say, Hey, I got another one. 
it's 150K, 200K. Uh, we're closing whatever day. They're like, all right, just connect me with escrow. Yeah, you know? yeah. Yeah, that reminds me of a, a – so a thing I did for my business, I use a uh, back-end automation for like a – well, it's like a, it's a CRM we use for our transaction process. And I set up a, a push-button private lender uh, system. So we have like 10 private lenders we have relationships in there with. And there's a templated email that goes out with deal points. And I remember one deal we had, it was a half a million dollar house. I pushed the button to send our deal points to all the private lenders. And we had a, we had the deal funded in 11 minutes. Oh my gosh. Pretty cool. Cause I mean, I used to stress out a lot about raising the money. Like if you have to pick up the phone or you have to, you know, manually do all this stuff and think about it and put a lot of mental energy into where the money's going to come from. And then you start, well, what if I can't get the money before the closing, you know? Um, well, that went away with that. You didn't have to worry about all that. Yeah. That's wild. So that's one thing I've noticed since uh, since the beginning is you love to tinker around and make different systems and processes, and it definitely seems to be one of your superpowers. So tell me, tell me more about that. Is that just something you've always been like technically good at, or you just learned it out of necessity, or what? What do you think? Well, I mean, in business, okay, if, if there's something that you do more than once and you don't need to do it then you're wasting your time. You know, so it's either there's three things you should consider in your business. Should I delegate it? Should I automate it? Or should I eliminate it? Because if you automate or delegate something you should eliminate, then you're wasting someone else's time or you're putting resources into a process that shouldn't be wasted in, you know, automating. I like that. I like that. So should I automate it? Should I delegate it or eliminate it? Yes. Yes. That's good. That's so sexy. there's no reason to delegate something you can automate if you know, it's something that is thoughtless, like raising money is kind of thoughtless. If you have the relationships already set up and you just need to give them a certain piece of information that can be automated. You don't need to task an assistant and you can also eliminate mistakes. You know, some things you delegate there, you, you get mistakes. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. I like that. Okay. Um, so tell me, uh, Tell me, I know beyond, beyond business, one of the things that's interesting about you, you've got some some unique hobbies. So uh, tell me tell me about some of the ones you got going on. Well, um, See if you have any new ones. Yeah, I got a new one here. I actually have, a, have an accident today. So um, my, uh, my dad, uh, when I was five years old, my dad got me into flying model airplanes. I've never been a big airplane guy. I mean, it's not like I'm crazy about airplanes. I guess I do like them. Um, I mean, you got, got them in your office. Yeah, I got one in my office, don't I? Um, well, I was flying this earlier today and it got, uh, it got, I wanted to buy one. I could fly in my driveway and, uh, not have to go to the, we have a flying field I go to where you have to, you know, it takes me 30 minutes to go there and back. And so I want to be able just to get up in the morning, go out in the driveway, fly the plane around a little bit and then come in and work and not have to go be on for the half the day. Um, so I ended up crashing it in the neighbor's tree. Um, but, uh, this is a, you know, it's a remote controlled RC plane. Um, so my dad got me into flying these things. Like when I was about five, he'd hand me his transmitter, have his airplane up in the sky, you know, 500 feet up in the air and teach me how to fly it. And it's something I've done off and on. And I, I started doing it more recently with my dad because um, he, uh, you know, something he, he's, he's like a, if you, you know, like I'm not like he is, he's a airplane. Like that's his, that's the one thing like airplanes on the brain. Like he is all about it. And my grandpa was a pilot. My uncle uh, soloed a plane when he was 16 and my dad, has always been into the, the model plane. So um, now I ended up getting my pilot's license uh, for some reason, I guess just because everyone else is into it. So um, take my dad flying once in a while and 
know, on the weekends we'll go fly RC planes at the flying field and we've got a variety of them we fly, but, uh, yeah, it's one of the things, I guess. That's cool. Yeah. I remember when we first, uh, first met, were you just getting your pilot's license? No, I had, I got it in 2010. Okay. Yeah. It's either you were already doing it or you were like getting back into it or something. I can't remember which one it was, but, um, that was, that was something you did. I think the next couple years kind of as a networking event, you had, uh, taken some, some other investors on some plane rides to go like through the grand Canyon and stuff like that. Um, it's kind of a cool networking event. So what, what made you come up with that idea? Uh, I don't remember. Um, I guess because, well, I guess I do know. Um, so there's a guy that I know and he owns a pilot center in uh, Vegas. And I'm not a big Vegas person. You know, I don't want to go to the strip or, you know, I'll go to the clubs with you guys, but just because you guys are going mainly. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm not like a big, I'd rather be out in nature or doing something fun. And so I figured, well, what else could I, what else, what's more fun than like going and renting a plane and go flying like Zion national park or something. So, Oh, it was so much fun. Like we, we rented a plane that goes about. Did you know going to Zion? Yeah. We flew yeah, through Zion. Cool. Like we flew down through the Canyon at Zion. No, you did. Is that even yeah. legal? Uh, it's not, um, it's not illegal, yeah, but it's not, it's not, it's frowned upon, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And there's another uh, place we flew um, from, Vegas, there's like a highway. I don't know what it is, but there's a highway that goes um, all the way up to Zion and there's uh, mountains on both sides. So we were flying the highway in the canyon between the mountains. Like wingtips are pointing at mountains. Like it's pretty, cool. pretty fun. It was it was a blast. Uh, but my friend owns a pilot center in Vegas. And and uh, and so um, we rented a plane with him and he had an instructor go with us and just took, took plane rides one day, four or five of them, something like that. Yeah, that's super cool, man. I gotta get I gotta get on one of those with you. Um, yeah, you still you still flying to this day, right? Yeah, I don't fly as much as I used to. Um, last yeah, last time I flew, I actually flew a jet though, so that was pretty fun. I got you to take off a jet, and, take off and land the jet. Yeah, dang, Did that feel a lot different. Not not really. Um, it was probably smoother, but the jet I flew was just a little bigger than the planes I'm used to flying. And same same brand. So I know you know Tony. Uh, Tony flies the Cirrus SR22 and that's what I used to own. And that's what I, we flew in Vegas. And then the guy that uh, I know out in Vegas that has the pilot center, his pilot center is a Cirrus training center and a Cirrus sales center. So they had a Cirrus vision jet, which is a, basically the Cirrus SR22 is a, a trainer for, it's like a jet trainer. So your next step up would be flying their jet. So it's not that much different. It's a little bit bigger. Uh, it's faster. Um, but it, you, you know, it's fairly familiar. Most, most, it kind of feels like you're flying the same, same okay. plane, just smoother. Yeah. Okay. That's cool. Um, all right. So, uh, next thing I wanted to get into is kind of where, where you've come out of, uh, doing all these deals, all this real estate, you've pretty much done all different type of real estate transactions you can do. Um, and I know a couple of years ago, I remember just watching you on social media and seeing some of the success you were having with coaching. So for me, that was really cool to watch um, because you've always been like a generous person. You've always been helpful and and kind of a a go-giving kind of person. So it was cool to kind of watch you take some people under your wing and go out on appointments with them and help them get contracts signed and, you know, stand there with the check, so to speak, like, Hey, 
I helped uh, Bob over here get this deal done. So what, what has that been like for you going through that whole journey? Well, I guess I kind of fell into that by mistake or, or accident. I don't know if it's not really by mistake. I mean, an accident, not on purpose. So, I mean, uh, initially it was, I think around the time, you know, I, I remember doing a call with you actually and helping you get, maybe did I help you get your first direct mail campaign going or something or no? No, I've been doing direct mail since 2013. Okay. Um, but you and I have done some calls cranking through talking about how I'm doing something, how you're doing something yeah. okay. and kind of helping tweak some stuff together. Maybe, maybe it was just like in the mix there. Cause I was doing, like I started doing some calls with some different investors, maybe back in 15 or 16, I just had so many people like asking for help. Cause I would share uh, my deals and I would kind of show the volume I was doing at the time. And a lot of people were kind of struggling saying, well, we've been through the same training. Why are you getting deals? And I'm not. And, and it was like, well, I'm, cause I'm doing this kind of marketing and that kind of marketing. And I'm just like stacking it on top of each other, doing multiple layers of it together. And, um, and, uh, and so I started showing different people how to set their marketing up because a lot of people are afraid of it. You know, a lot of people are either, they either think it's a waste of money or they're afraid that they'll do it wrong or they just never done it before and don't have any idea where to begin. And it's overwhelming and, and there's a lot of fear. So, yeah. um, because they're basically putting money out there, hoping something's going to come back and not knowing if it will. Um, and a lot of people screw it up, but, um, so, uh, yeah, so I started helping people just kind of like, Hey, let me get on a call to show you what I'm doing. If you can, you know, I can help you try to reproduce it and then good luck to you basically. And I don't know how maybe 40 people do it that way. And then, um, a few years went by and I, I wanted to like, I realized there was a big demand for like helping people in that way. So I wanted to put together something that was more organized versus a, Sunday afternoon, winging it type of a phone call, you know, 30 minute call and, and hope they do well, you know? So yeah, I started uh, in my local market as well, you know, well, actually here's the story. Okay. So when I was in that phase of like trying to find my millions of dollars of private money, uh, one guy I remembered, like when I went to one of my first networking meetings, I met with a guy, an older guy, looked like a grouchy old guy to me, uh, white haired old guy, ended up being the nicest guy ever. But, um, He's like, hey, Chad, I have money. I don't have deals. If you ever get deals, let me know. I've got money. I'm like, okay, but I'm afraid to let you fund my deals or put your money in my deals because I don't know what I'm doing. You know, so so um, that was when I was super brand new, probably 13 or 14. I met the guy at a, at a local networking event. And then after I learned how to really raise money and put it into some deals, and I've done some flips, a couple flips on my own with some of my own money, and I realized I could successfully get in a deal and out of a deal without losing money, then I was ready to risk someone else's money. So I had a, had a deal that was on a golf course and uh, the, the seller wanted 200,000 for the house. And I, I didn't have $200,000 available to put in. So I said, well, I need to find somebody who's got money. And I thought, well, I remember this guy from that meeting saying he had money. So I called him over to meet with me. And he said, he really didn't want to be a lender, but he wanted to like, put money in his own deals. Mm. I said, he, or be partners. I said, well, I don't really want to be partners, but why don't I do this? I'll teach you how to get your own deals and how I do the marketing. If you let me put your money into my deals while we're, while you're learning. And so he became one of my uh, best lenders, had a, over a million net worth, uh, you know, a couple million dollars uh, liquid and started funding all my deals for me. So um, that was kind of like my first local, mentorship, I guess, hmm. opportunity there. And 
guy's like in his eighties and has flipped a bunch of houses. And now he just does solely does private lending. So I took him from not wanting to be a private lender to now he does that for like, you know, to build his wealth. Yeah. Doesn't really want to flip houses anymore. So (laughs) (laughs) So how much work it was. Yeah. Yeah. He, he kind of got tired of uh, dealing with the contractors. Likes, he likes the part of going in and negotiating with sellers and buying the house, making the deal, but doesn't really like managing the contractors. So yeah. he's gotten to where he, he'd rather let someone else go out and, and do all the rehabs and him just fund it. And he says he makes just about the same amount of money or more as he does when he's actually flipping the house. So of course. Yeah. So, yeah, but um, yeah, I think so far I've, I've probably got a couple, uh, probably 150 uh, students in my new program that's more organized and uh, we've got some big results lately. We've been getting a lot of hundred thousand dollar checks somehow. I don't know how, but a lot of our wow. members will be getting hundred thousand plus checks. And that's used to be when I'd bring someone in, they might get a 30 or $40,000 check on their first deal, which I thought was still pretty good. But um, now we're seeing some of the first deals being hundred thousand dollar checks. Are those coming from wholesale deals or flips or? Uh, mostly flips, but we have seen some big, big uh, checks on some of the as is stuff as well. Yeah. Those are monster deals, man. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. So has that turned like into a, a passion project for you? I mean, obviously to have people getting success like that, it's, it's a ton of work to do coaching. I mean, I know firsthand because I'm, I'm embarking on that journey myself and have, you know, a number of students already signed up and, uh, and, and really at the infancy stage, but you've been doing it for a while now and have a lot of people that you've helped. So, um, yeah. So where, where do you see that going? Well, I'll tell you this. Um, I think, I think the coaching is, it's probably the most difficult thing I've ever done in business. Like it is, diff, it's not difficult. Like coaching people and mentoring them isn't that hard. And the, the thing that's hard about that is the fear that you're going to bring someone in and they're going to fail. And then it's your fault somehow. That's the biggest thing that in the beginning, I was like, well, what if I bring in 20 people and none of them get any success and they all think I'm right. a terrible person? Well, that didn't happen. So luckily, uh, thankful of that. But um, getting over that side was was hard initially. But then um, then it's the systems like this business, like this, to, to have a successful online coaching and mentorship business, there's a lot of technology, a lot of systems, a lot of software. It's like I probably have, you know, more software expense going out in a month than a lot of people's house payment. Like, there's so much you invest in systems and technology to make it all work um, and to provide a good experience for your, your members. Um, so, so that's, that's one thing. The sales side of it is, is challenging. The marketing's challenging. It's all really challenging. Like, mm-hmm. you know, we used to be able to, used to be able to run Facebook ads and say whatever you want. Now, if you've mentioned the word house in your Facebook ad, you might get your account shut down. No kidding. Yeah. Yeah. So, so to be able to, and if you, if you do it another way, uh, when it comes to running those Facebook ads, then you might not be able to target anyone. Like you might not be able to run any, like you might not be able to do any sort of targeting because they have anti-discrimination laws. And when you're doing real estate coaching, they lump you into something called a special ads housing category, which, which means that you're basically selling houses, but we're not selling houses. We're selling education. So, um, it's tricky, really tricky. Interesting. Yeah. Well, that's all part of business is figuring out how to work around all the different things that come up in your way, whether it's some rule or law or just person, right. That you got to kind of work through and overcome. So that's all part of the fun. Well, cool, man. Um, Let's uh, let me kind of end with um, just 
kind of what you're most excited about? Like, what, what are you working on right now or want to be working on? Like, what are you most excited about uh, kind of in your future? Um, I would say, I guess, I mean, I'm, I'm definitely excited about scaling the, the mentorship and coaching side of things, helping more people uh, achieve their dreams and goals. And that's been become one of the things that I'm focusing more on now. It's like, as I'm building my team and uh, growing that, I've got a, a international team now of people working for me. So in multiple countries, kind of, kind of interesting. Um, mm-hmm. Never had that exactly going on before. Um, but um, to really focus on what are their goals and what are their dreams and make their dreams come true. So then, you know, my dreams are just the byproduct, right? Yeah. Um, and I want to, like, I want to build and grow my, my uh, passive income side of things more. So I'm not so much focusing on like buying and flipping a house to make a 60000 or $100,000 check. I'd rather have, if I could go back and keep every house I ever bought, I would. Um, right. Because of like, you, I'm sure you've done the same thing. Have you ever done the math and looked at, well, this house I bought two years ago and it was, you know, we sold it for this, but now it's worth double or whatever. You're like, dang, do that times, you know, a hundred or however many. And, and that's a lot of money you, you, you left behind. So, but, um, yeah. you know, so I want to focus more. And I also am looking into uh, getting more on the commercial side and doing some, some commercial deals and some multifamily stuff. Cause I'd, I'd like to transition into more of the, the places where, you know, you seem a lot of real estate investors like to evolve to, you know, seems like everyone kind of starts in the wholesaling or some do wholesaling. Then you get into flipping, then you get into rentals and then you're like, well, now what, you know, private lending, uh, commercial multifamily. Yep. All those things. Yeah. Those are all kind of things on the horizon for me too. I've got, um, uh, lending company. I just started, uh, with my dad and, uh, we've got some additional people who are going to kind of be coming into the mix here to make it pretty fun and interesting. Um, and a lot more capital available. And then, um, you know, we want to get storage, uh, storage units. Yeah. Um, so that's something that we want to do, um, this year. So, yeah, those are, are going to be, uh, are you going to be doing like kind of like a hard money lender? Is that what it is? Or kind of private lending or exactly private lending. Okay. Nice. Yeah. Awesome. So it's going to get pretty fun. I think there's going to be a lot of opportunities just within like my, my, close circle of, of trusted friends and, and investors um, that keep most of that money active. And then there's other deals like larger multifamily or commercial deals within the same kind of circle of people that I know are doing them to where they need a million, two million bucks, whatever, coming as an equity partner. It's like, all right, cool. Let's do this. Sounds good. So it should be pretty fun. Um, well, awesome, man. Uh, there's so many good juicy stuff we could uh, dive into more, but I know we're running up against uh, a time block here. So um, just want to thank you for coming on, man. really appreciate you. Um, you know, we've been friends for years now and uh, it's it's been fun to watch you grow and just appreciate your time on today's today's interview. Yeah, thanks for having me. I feel the same way. So yeah, it's good, good connecting and we'll have to catch up again soon and I'll definitely invite you over to to swap, swap the situation here and do the interview for you. Yeah. Let's do it. How can people get a hold of you, man? Oh yeah. Um, so I have a Facebook group. It's uh, seven figure real estate investors and you can just look that up or my website's chadlauer.com. So either one of those would be great. Um, just reach out on social media, send me a PM or go check out my website. Sweet. Yeah. Awesome. man. All right, guys. Hope you enjoyed the interview until next time. Peace. All right. Thanks a lot. See ya.